Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee is heading to the Citrus Bowl, just like we all predicted. Oh no, we didn't. Uh, Some dominoes fell in a surprising way on bowl selection day. And yes, Tennessee is going to be finishing their year in Orlando. We suspected it would be a Florida Bowl. We didn't necessarily think it would be that Florida Bowl, however. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Got a lot of ground to cover today, guys. But Adam, start us off with Tennessee Citrus Bowl bound. LSU had the better record by one game, but we know LSU played in this game last year, the Citrus Bowl. LSU opened their season in Orlando against Florida State in the Camping World kickoff. Was it as simple as that? Or do you think there were some other factors in play that led LSU to Tampa and Tennessee to Orlando? Yeah, there were different dominoes that led to this. And anybody listening that listened last week that heard us talk about the Gator or the ReliQuest Bowl, that made a ton of sense uh, last week and it has for the past few weeks. Here's what had to happen. A lot of strange, wacky things had to happen for Tennessee to get into the Citrus. And I can tell you in real time, uh, Tennessee was monitoring this. And each time something would happen, you would get the response from them of, wow, this may actually occur. So here are the steps. Georgia needed to lose in the SEC title game to Alabama. Check. Yep, check. Alabama and Texas both needed to get into the playoff. Check. And because that would kick Florida State out, both of those getting in. So Florida State needed to get kicked out of the playoff. Check. Check. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which would put Florida State in the Orange Bowl and would kick Louisville out of the Orange Bowl, thereby having only one ACC team in the New Year's Six. That happened. Yep. That made it possible for a fourth SEC team to get into the CFP plus New Year's Six. There was going to be three. With uh, Louisville being booted out, you had a, a another spot open in the New Year's Six. And Ole Miss was not the obvious choice to go there. Oklahoma was more of one. But then so then Ole Miss had to leapfrog Oklahoma and get into a New Year's Six which it did check, check. <laughs> and then uh, and then that still leaves LSU for the Citrus Bowl and then that goes uh, Citrus Bowl and it and it's and it's what you said it, LSU was the only team that could have had a better record that the Citrus Bowl would not have taken um and instead got to Tennessee because like you said LSU played in the season opener there they played in last year's Citrus Bowl there and so and and by the way you have to be within one game of the the top a remaining team. Uh, so LSU was nine and three. So Citrus Bowl could only take an eight and four team in the SEC and Tennessee's the only eight and four team. So all those dominoes line up and, uh, you know, I, I'd say about 10 minutes before the Citrus Bowl made the call, uh, Tennessee internally said, wow, this is going to happen. And, and it did. We said in the preseason, I, I know I did, I think maybe you two guys did too. when we were predicting records 
I said nine and three in the Citrus Bowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> turned out eight and four in a Citrus Bowl, which eight and four teams do not get in Citrus Bowls very often. So uh, t- Tennessee should feel very fortunate that this happened. They ended up in one, maybe two spots better than what they would have been, according to the record. And as far as the matchup, John, how do you feel about the idea now of Tennessee ending its season against Iowa? I mean, it feels like certainly a winnable game. I don't know that it's the matchup of a of a lifetime. Iowa is a team that uh, plays a certain brand of football, shall we say, that uh, not always easy on, on, on the eyes, but they won the Big Ten West for whatever that's worth. So uh, what do you think about the uh, the Tennessee-Iowa matchup here that we're going to have in Orlando? Yeah, Iowa draws up its plays on a cave. It's, it's, it's offensive <laughs> plays. Uh, uh-huh. It's uh, Yeah, I mean, I was watching the Nebraska game and I've seen a I've seen two Iowa games. I, I thought in Iowa Nebraska, I just thought I'd been transported back into the 1950s. Just with the Iowa's offense, I mean, and Iowa somehow manages to win games. Uh, it's ten and three. So I think this is a great matchup for Tennessee because I don't think it will exploit Tennessee's pass defense. Um, I'm sure it won't, and uh, I think Tennessee's pretty good against the run and will be against Iowa and then just managed to score enough points. And and what's even better is Tennessee ended up in what you would call a higher-profile bowl with Citrus Bowl. I don't know how much that means now. Maybe it used to mean more, but it, it is a higher-profile bowl than, say, the uh, – well, I still call it the Outback Bowl. But uh, – I, I, and it's on New Year's Day, so good time slot uh, – a uh, good bowl for a really good bowl for eight to four record. And then you're playing a team ranked higher than you in the top 25. So a win, Tennessee will advance up and can crack the top 20, finish nine and four and, and crack the top 20. And that doesn't usually happen. Yeah, I think it is. It is. It's kind of a neat dynamic of how we rank these bowls, number one, but sometimes it doesn't match up with the reaction of the team. You know, if you think of Florida State the other day, they don't get in the playoff and they're playing in the Orange Bowl. Tennessee a year ago celebrated to that point that they were getting into the Orange Bowl because they knew they were already out of the playoff. And so that was a good thing. Hey, you're going to go play in the Orange Bowl. It's a pretty pretty good bowl. Um, Florida State was like, I can't believe we're going to play in the Orange Bowl. That sucks. Hmm. Uh, Tennessee is like on the opposite end of that this year. They're like, wow, I can't believe we're in the Citrus Bowl. Where you think of back in like the 90s, sometimes it was like the consolation prize. We all know the Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier quotes Joe, can't spell citrus without UT, which I've heard like 9,000 times <laughs> from like every boomer Tennessee fan that I know has said that to me like in the last 24 hours. Hey, do you know what Spurrier used to say? That's just, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember. I'm not, I'm not 16 years old. I remember that as well. Um, but it's, the Citrus Bowl is like a really good thing for Tennessee now because they were that's sort of above their weight class this year. And uh, like John mentioned, if you go and, uh, you know, beat one of the best defenses in the country, maybe the worst offense, but one of the best defenses in the country, you have a top 25 win, you have a win over a Big Ten team, and you can finish this year uh, on, a, on a high note, your ninth win in a, in a bowl again that was better than what you should have been in. I sometimes think of maybe this says more about me than anything, guys. But uh, I sometimes think about things though in this in the scenario of what's the worst thing that could happen. 
the worst thing that could happen for Tennessee in the postseason is losing to Iowa. <laughs> and yeah. No one's going to care about, well, Iowa won the Big Ten West. They're in the top 25. They, they got a good record. Like, no, if you've seen Iowa play, they again, they have a certain reputation. That reputation is they can't score, and uh, they, they struggle to beat anybody who can score. So on the one hand, I think this is a great matchup for Tennessee because it's like you score 24 points. I mean, oh. go ahead and pop the pop the champagne and put some citrus fruits in there. You you've won the game. Iowa's not going to twenty. Iowa might not get a couple a couple touchdowns here, but I, I just have that worst case scenario rattling around in my brain and think, oh boy, just don't lose to Iowa, right? I mean, that would sully the the whole thing. But overall, if I can tamp that down, I think this is a good draw for Tennessee because yes, as as bad as it would look to finish your year with a loss to a team that can't score, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Tennessee wins and they can tout a Citrus Bowl triumph to to cap their season. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting about like like what Tennessee team shows up. Let, let's just put aside the, the defense, and I don't think Iowa's going to score a lot because they haven't scored on, on anybody, but Tennessee has to score in this game. And this it, Iowa's a very, very good defense. Um Average to give up like 13 points a game this year. Um, like if if you get to if you get to like 21, you you win. Um, but can Tennessee score 21 on a very very good defense um, with the team that they're going to be bringing there? The team they had in the regular season, I would say probably with the team that they're going to bring there. I don't know because I don't know what that team's going to be. Jalen Wright is an NFL prospect. Um, you know, now some of this could change by the time this. Uh, um, this this podcast episode publishes because things happen like every five minutes it seems like in this uh, in this uh, in this stage that we're in in college football in December. But does Jalen Wright play in this game? He's an NFL prospect. He could opt out. You know, there's talk that Jabari Small. There's a chance he could maybe not play. He could explore NFL and opt out. Um, I don't know if he's going to return for his COVID senior year. There's like different avenues that Jabari Small could go, and whether he did or didn't, Dylan Sampson is going to going to be your number one running back if Jalen Wright doesn't play. And so there's a there's a question at running back. It's really hard to run against Iowa. Will Tennessee be at full strength there? I think Joe Milton is going to play. He went to high school in Orlando. I can't imagine he would skip a bowl game in his hometown. Um, you know, offensive line-wise, the you know, John Campbell is a consideration of whether he would go into the portal or whether he would come back or he would go into the NFL. He's also from Orlando. We'll see if that affects things. That's your that's your left tackle. You've got two or three other offensive linemen that are all considerations of COVID seniors and what they're going to do for next year. And so, um, you know, offensively, you just don't know. Uh, this this may be like a you know ninety five percent Tennessee offense of what we saw in the regular season, or it could be like a seventy percent Tennessee offense. And I think that's that potentially could be the difference in, in whether you win or lose this game. Blake, I remember watching Tennessee and Iowa play in Jacksonville in the, in the Gator Bowl a few years ago. And, uh, Tax whatever Bowl at that time, right, John? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, well, it changes, but it's, it, it's hard. It's the Gator Bowl. Sure. Uh, Iowa, uh, for some reason, just, they seemed disinterested in the whole process. And it was even apparent in, in interviews during the week, it, it was just, okay, we're here in this bowl game. So what, 
<laughs> and I don't remember this circumstances to why it might have been so indifferent about a bouquet. And it showed up in its performance. It looked absolutely awful right away. Tennessee rolled to an impressive win. And uh, I, I don't, so I don't know what the mindset of Iowa is now. I think it helps to play an SEC team usually. As, as you, okay, as you're full, you're saying the opponent playing an yeah, SEC team. Yeah, to have an SEC. It, uh-huh. it, didn't in the, it didn't in the Gator Bowl that time, but in some cases it can help. I, again, I don't know what's going on, what the mindset is of that team. I don't know that it would be devastated for losing in the Big Ten championship game. I, I don't see how any reasonable thinking person, even a player, could have thought, well, we'll we're going to go out and beat Michigan. And <laughs> No. You're not because you won't even score probably, which it didn't. It's uh, the thing about watching Iowa, it fascinates me how it manufactured enough points to win 10 games. It does it with special teams, some defensive touchdowns, but it's so tedious watching Iowa play that if you lose to Iowa, the point you're making, Blake, if you lose to Iowa, forget the ranking or the record, it's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a very ugly game, and so it will be a, a very ugly loss if you lose to Iowa. It will be nothing pretty about it. All right, well, we'll pivot past the bowl game with that happy thought to to end on. And uh, the other thing Tennessee fans are, are plugged in on, maybe even more so than the bowl at this moment, is the transfer portal. And the portal's open for business. Players are, are flowing in. At some point, they'll be flowing out to their new destinations. And so how active would you expect Tennessee to be in the portal? How active do you think they need to be in the portal? Well, Blake, I think uh, Tennessee needs to be very active. Very active. It clearly needs upgrades in a number of areas. Uh, It needs a big play wide receiver, obviously. It needs a better secondary. I know it has some younger players who might move into those roles and perform better. but We've seen the guys kind of give the same results there, and it needs help in the offensive line. We don't know how many guys might opt out. We don't know how many guys might choose not to come back for that COVID senior season. So there's so much uncertainty, but bottom line, Tennessee needs more help than it's been getting in the transfer portal. If it wants to be contending for a playoff berth when the playoff field goes to 12 teams this year, and that that certainly should be a goal of the program to make the playoff. And it just needs help in a lot of different areas. Tennessee this season navigated through with Nico as the backup, Joe Milton as the starter, and behind that, they had walk-on quarterbacks. That is not an ideal scenario, but they were able to they were able to get through this season as such. Now, next year, Nico's set to hand the reins. I imagine you don't want to rock the boat too much, given that situation. Your Bollywood five-star signee quarterback, um, and they have four-star quarterback Jake Merklinger. Easy for me to say. Uh, committed to this class. He's a national. He's a four-star. He's a national two uh, national top two hundred prospect. So, uh, out of the state of Georgia. So, it seems like a pretty good get here 
in this class, but that's it for scholarship quarterbacks as of now set on the depth chart for next year, Nico and Merkliner. So should Tennessee try to tiptoe around the portal and add another guy? Do you try to navigate another season with just two scholarship quarterbacks? Because it is a tricky deal in the portal here. Like you don't want to rock the boat with your, with your, your star ready to take the reins potentially in Nico. And yet you got Nico and Merkliner and nothing behind them. So what's your guys' thoughts on the, on the need to add a quarterback out of the portal? Well, if well, you're gonna if you if you're gonna add one, you have to. It's like threading a needle. You you have to add a veteran guy. Like you have to add somebody with game experience, but that doesn't have the expectation of starting. And that's <laughs> what a prize. <laughs> I know, right? That's and you know they tried to thread that needle a little bit. Um, you know, a year ago. Uh, because it was obvious that uh, that Joe Milton was going to be the starter. He was the Orange Bowl MVP. He, lo- he looked good. And a five-star was coming in behind him. So you had the present and the future. So when you would bring in – when Tennessee would bring in uh, potential transfer quarterbacks, it was hard to make a pitch to them. Uh, you know, uh, no, you're not going to start. What about next year? No, you're not going to start then either. You'll hold a clipboard for different guys, though. That's sort of the <laughs> sort yeah. of the prize. Uh, and and you know, coming into this one, um, I mean, it, again, it's similar. It may be a little different. If a quarterback thought, I think I can beat out that five star, maybe a guy comes in like that. But the problem is, this is the NIL era. Uh, players have Google. They can look to see how many millions of dollars have been invested uh, in NIL money into into Nico, and so he's going to start. Now, I'm not I'm not saying Josh Apple would choose would do that because of the NIL contract. I, I think Nico's really really good. I think he's going to be a really good SEC quarterback. I like what I saw, especially late in the season. Um, so you're going to have to if you can get another guy, you're going to have to get a, a backup that can just be a backup, um, and that's that's hard to get. Merklinger will be here. He'll he'll be, I think, probably at bowl practices. He'll be enrolled in January. Um, one thing they could do is just not not pick up one in the portal, a quarterback in the portal in December, and then maybe you try to get one in that 15-day window in April, like after spring practice. So you put Merklinger through spring and see if he can be like what Nico was his past year. Like, Hey, he can run the offense. We think he can be good enough to be a backup quarterback. And then maybe you don't have to go get another one. Um, but of course, if you do that, then you're, you, if he's not ready in the spring, then you're sort of crossing your fingers, hoping that there's an option in that 15 day window in April. And that's, that's a pretty big gamble. Uh, Joe Milton was relatively healthy this year. Um, and Nico, you know, is is not 240 pounds like like Joe Milton is so you know and the offensive line may not be what it what it was this year so you could risk injury you you need a backup that, that's that's for sure I don't know if they'll be able to get one or not though John you're pretty aggressive with your thoughts on the portal how do you see this quarterback situation well speaking in general terms uh, the idea to me of going out investing a lot of money in a high school recruit no matter how good a five-star or what a one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school I think those days are going to pass I, I I think when you can when you look at the quarterbacks just stampeding to the portal now 
you can get a proven guy. You can get that that high school recruit. You can get him a year later or two years later. You can offer him enough NIL money. We see all this quarterback movement. Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma, who to me is one of the one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, he's the only guy that beat Texas. Fantastic performance. Knows this offense backward and forward. But Tennessee can't risk trying to get him. I mean, he wouldn't come here either because he knows, as Adam pointed out, well, Tennessee, Nico is Tennessee's guy. But would Tennessee be better off next season offensively with Dylan Gabriel opposed to Nico? And I think Nico's going to be great, a great player, but I think he'd be better off with Dylan Gabriel. I think it is an it I think it is an interesting uh conversation because like Nico got millions of dollars to sign with Tennessee as a five star. I don't know what Arch Manning got. I'm sure he got a pretty good payday. I mean it's not like his family needed money or anything. There wasn't any poverty situations with the Mannings, but yeah. um, I'm sure I'm sure he got plenty of NIL money. Uh it's you, you know, which, which is more of a risk getting a five star or high four star high school kid and hope he turns out or getting a guy that's already played on Saturdays and played well and paying him a million, a million five, whatever. I think the second one has the, has the fewer risks. You've seen a guy play in, in a power five conference and he can play and you know what you're getting. And, you know, there's not really risk in there. I think it could, and probably already has affected the market. It's a weird thing to say, but affected the market of high school quarterbacks. Um, because now maybe if you were the top, two or three players like Nico and like Arch Manning where you can still command a lot of money, but I don't think you can be beyond that. I don't think you can be a high school quarterback and demand a huge payday and, uh, and, and get it with a lot of these schools because they'll just, they'll say, well, am I going to spend, am I going to spend $1.5 million on a high school quarterback that I, I'm pretty sure is going to be great, but I'm not sure. Or I can spend $1.5 million on this guy at my rival school who was already all-conference in a Power 5 league. And also, the second option is short-term. You know, you just have him come in, you play a year, play two years, and and that's it. Now, the downside of that is you do lose a lot in culture, in the system. You can get a guy that doesn't fit your system. You can get a guy as a quick fix and think, you can plug him in and he's going to be great, you know, immediately. And instead it takes a couple of years. Um, you know, think of Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton uh, when they came in. Hendon Hooker, it took a little a little bit, took a few games, and then he really hit. Joe Milton, it didn't hit that first year and it hit a little bit in the second year. Uh, or really, really third year, sorry, third year. And so there's still gambles there too, but one thing for sure is is schools, their NILs are going to spend a lot of money to get these quarterbacks above any other position. I think it depends on the state of your program. If you think you're on, you're ready to compete for national championship and you can get a player of say Dylan Gabriel's uh, talent and track record, you need to go get him and, and not worry about the fallout because it's just like in the NFL, and we keep making the comparisons how college is more like the NFL now. Uh, when you think you've got a team that can win the Super Bowl, you go all in on that season and don't worry about what might come after. Uh, and, and I think if I were, uh, if I had a, a top 10 program that looked like it could win the national championship, some school would find Dylan Gabriel very attractive. Now he may go to Mississippi State with Jeff Labie 
uh, where he has a relationship with. He was Oklahoma's offensive coordinator and coached him at UCF. But uh, and and Tennessee is all in on Nico. I, I don't think that would happen. But let's just say this were Alabama, and and he and Alabama ran that kind of offense, and Jalen Milrow was leaving. Why wouldn't Alabama try to get Dylan Gabriel? I had a Tennessee fan ask me today if Arch Manning goes into the transfer portal, is Tennessee going to go make a play for him? And uh, I said, well, Tennessee's got a lot of needs, and that's not quarterback. They have a five-star quarterback. It doesn't make any sense to go get another one. I, I, the analogy I use, I said, that's like going and buying a second Ferrari when there's a hole in your roof. You know, you have other things you need to spend money on. And Tennessee, in that way, is going to end up a different – I think they – they didn't necessarily plan it out like this, but they're going to have a different strategy than everybody else. Other teams that are trying to get into the playoffs these next couple of years have a lot of pieces in place, like what John is talking about, and they're going to go buy a ready-made quarterback. Tennessee has a quarterback they're going to have to develop, and that now that money's already spent. He's on the payroll, essentially, for the next couple of years. But they're going to have to spend what money that they have in the NIL collective to go get the pieces around him. So in that way, it's 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 backwards from some of the other contenders. Yeah, and I don't want to fan the flames of the the Dylan Gabriel thing because uh, he he played for Josh Heupel, and you never know where relationships stand. I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of that. But after Josh Heupel left UCF for Tennessee, Dylan Gabriel's post on Instagram was LOL, no goodbye, question mark, not even a phone call, crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think I'm seeing that reunion happening uh, with uh, with Nico waiting in the wings. And uh, you guys may have hit the nail on the head there with uh, Jeff Levy leaving Oklahoma and going to Mississippi State. Now that could be something to watch uh, in, in particular for Dylan Gabriel. But as it pertains to Tennessee, on our way out the door here, guys. Um, so you, you mentioned your analogy, Adam, I think is a good one as someone who just bought a home. Uh, I was not so much worried about uh, my car or any, any Ferrari situation. I want to know how old the roof was and is the roof up to code and went to great lengths uh, through home inspections and code inspections to ensure that my roof is indeed up to code. Um, having said that, then, uh, if the roof is the greatest need on your house here, playing this out, what is the greatest need at Tennessee needs to get out of the transfer portal? Now, this isn't like um, fantasy world here. I'm going to put some guardrails up on this conversation. Say this isn't total fantasy world where you can dip into some mysterious bag and come up with uh, Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is somehow gifted playing another year and boom, you just grab Jaden Daniels. No, the guardrails are within the bounds of small reasonableness here. What's the, what's the biggest thing, the biggest need for Tennessee that they can pluck out of the portal? Um, it's a tough question to answer because we don't know who's coming back. Uh, I will say an absolute need that we don't have to fast forward to. We don't have to know the future to know this one. Tight end. They have to have a tight end. Tight end is integral to this offense. They had two this year. They lost them both. So it's not like it's not like the offense will you know be great or terrible depending on which tight end they get. But they absolutely one hundred percent have to add a tight end. Now, if you put that aside, um, that's that's a necessity. I would I would say offensive line probably tackle. Now they could get 
both of their tackles back. But if they don't, it's offensive line. Nico is the most valuable asset that you have, not just this next season, but but you know probably for two or three seasons, and you have to protect him. So offensive line, I mean, wide receiver, if we're, we're on that. Notice I'm saying all things on the offensive side of the ball because, yes, they need D-line. They may need a linebacker, depending on what Keenan Peely does. They may add a defensive back just because they're losing some in the portal. But I just I, – I think they can be decent to average on defense and still be a really, really good team because we saw it in 2022. It's all about offense. So whatever if, – if they lose offensive tackles, even one, they have to add an offensive tackle. They would. They need a dynamic wide receiver, and that depends on whether or not Brew McCoy comes back. And uh, th- they for sure need a tight end. It's. It's not. I guess it's not the most important thing, but it's the. It's the most necessary thing because they. They have a young tight end, but they need other tight ends. They. They need at least one. They may need two. John, your biggest need out of the portal. Gosh, there's so many. Um, definitely, I agree with the offensive line, but that's secondary to me. Maybe these younger guys will step in and play better, but that's a, that's an Achilles heel right now. But with this offense, when it's really rolling, if you get a big play wide receiver, Brew McCoy, whether he comes back or not, I would want somebody that could really stretch the field. Maybe what they hope Dante Thornton would be, but he wasn't what he was supposed to be, or at least what the coaches hoped he would be. Um, but you need that kind of a dynamic receiver that can make plays in this offense and, and take it up to a higher level. Uh, so that, to me, is a, is crucial. But also, the secondary, I mean, when was the last time Tennessee secondary was like, wow, they, they, they'll shut down some passers? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think with the offense, it's it's almost, I think we should think of it in reverse. It's on one hand, what do they need most or what do they have to really hit on? That's one question that we're answering. But we've 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 listed several positions. On offense, I almost think they should look at it of like where can we go cheap and still be good? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Because okay, if if you're, you're thinking through the this, budget anymore in college. So. You absolutely you absolutely are. Um and so if I'm thinking about filling spots on that offense, let, let's say like half of the COVID seniors slash uh, uh, NFL guys leave. Um, and that would mean I'd probably need an offensive tackle. I definitely need a tight end. I need, a, I need a wide receiver. If you just go those three, you look in the portal and say, who's the best we can get at that position? But then you have to sacrifice one of those other, those others. You're probably going to add at each of those spots, but can, like, if you get an uh, like letter grade, if you get an A wide receiver, can you get a C offensive tackle and be okay? You yeah, know? and I think you also have to look at the the return on investment out of the portal. Like I, I don't have the math on this. Maybe I should, but I tend to still think your best offensive linemen are your guys you can sign and develop. I sometimes question the quality of guys in the secondary that you can get. So while I agree with John. Tennessee has to get better there. I don't know if they will find the solutions in the portal. I do think, like, if you can get a bang for your buck at wide receiver, and I think wide receiver is a position that's maybe not as hard to project. If a guy was a really good wide receiver, stud wide receiver in a previous offense, and, and there's one of them out there in the portal, you might get some good you know, return on investment on that. And, and we think back of, like, 
what is separating this offense from being 2021 levels? Well, Hinton Hooker obviously is part of the conversation. There's other pieces of the conversation, but to me, a big part of the conversation that sometimes kind of gets glossed over is Jalen Hyatt. I mean, that guy was phenomenal. He was a game changer for the offense. They didn't have one like that. I don't know who that is. I mean, uh, you know, that's why you got guys scouting the portal, right, on on these staffs, um, multiple members of the staff scout the portal. But if you could dip in there and spend your dollars and, and get some good ROI on a wide receiver, I think that would be where I would start. And I agree with you guys. They have all these other needs, but just like one big bang for the buck, I think I'd go wide receiver. And and I don't think we Adam says uh, looking. I don't think we need to be talking cheap here. <laughs> Fans don't want to hear talking cheap, Adam. They're they're trying to make the college football playoffs, so they're looking at an unlimited amount of money in that uh, NIL package. So what I would be saying is, I would be saying, okay, pass that hat around. Let's get some Pony more up. money in that collective and go out and get a. We're not going cheap here. We're getting the best money can buy. That's the message you want your fans to get. Sure, John. We'll go with that. <laughs> it is the Christmas season. Budget's yeah. going to be a little tight this time uh, of the year. But uh, All right, we will leave it there. Plenty more to talk about with the Citrus Bowl. Certainly more to talk about with the transfer portal. There's more to talk about by the hour, it seems like, on that front. And we will stick with you throughout the month. Uh, To follow that, we'll be back with you on the Volunteer State. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.